on here. Um, it's all, it's all good. Um, boy, first service took it out of me, so I've got to like step in about what we're going to talk about this morning because I think it's going to be very different. Let me tell you, I am teaching a class, so I'm going to do a self, you know, just a selfish plug. I am teaching a class on spiritual gifts. You know what one of my spiritual gifts is not? Text messaging. It's just not. And if you are one of the partners that connect with me, you'll realize that like, yes, I text message at five in the morning and I'm horrible about responding to all of them. My wife makes fun of me all the time sometimes of, uh, Right now, like, I think I probably have 119 text messages that I have not, like, looked at. That's just, like, I, I'm horrible at it. And uh, so, first, that's the first act of forgiveness right now is I forgive you, all 119 people who have text messaged me and I have not received back. It's just not my gift. Um, but at the same time, I, 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 the reason why I want to start there is just talking about, in general, like, our method of communication is just that. Our method of communication is, is one that is brief. It's in the moment where natural pauses are, are a natural part of a lot of our experience. Or sometimes we get to watch the three little dots just sit there and as we wait for the next message to come through. But it's a very new way to experience life. Uh, if we were gonna talk to the Apostle Paul at some point in time as he is penning this letter, to know that he could have written it in little small brief snippets probably would have like helped him feel like, okay, I don't have to do this all at once. But, but two would be kind of just mind-boggling that that's the way in which we communicate. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to go back through a lot of the things that when we start talking through email and these little snippets back and forth, I have to remind myself of the thread that we're talking through. This number we've been working through the, the, the book of Ephesians as a uh, um, and if it's your summers like my summer, like July, I was here only about half of it, um, which makes sometimes understanding what is it that we're trying to communicate or the authors are trying to communicate through a book difficult to parse out. And oftentimes we miss these, this bigger intention because here's the thing, Paul never intended for us here in 2022 to read the letter in a way where each week we break out a particular verse. Now we have the benefit of scholarship where we can, we can dive deep into certain sections. But when was the last time in your own practice that you sat down and read an entire book of the Bible in one sitting? So today that's what we're gonna do. As I was praying through the, the, the how to wrap up Ephesians, I realized one of the things that um, I felt like when God was like, I was trying to work out, like, what does he want us to know? I think what he wants us to know is exactly what the letter was meant there to do, which is to encourage us of what does it mean to be in Christ. See, Paul, when he wrote these letters, didn't know what was happening necessarily right there in that minute inside of every one of those churches. Rather, he wrote to the churches of Asia where each, one, where each church would be reading this individually with the intention to remind people of core things that the church at the time was struggling with. And I would even advocate today, when it comes to things around unity, how do we respond to cultural issues of the day? What does it look like to truly be an active force in the in the, as a kingdom people here today on earth? That's what he's trying to position in this, in this letter. So this morning we are going to read the entire book of Ephesians. 
That's going to be the majority of our sermon, and I, and I hope to, to exhort as well. We're going to be reading it out of the message. Um, so uh, many of us are not uh, audible learners. Some of us need that visual prompt, so please feel free to pull it up on your phone. You can go to Bible.com or, or version or the Bible app, whatever, change it, go for it. We're going to be reading out of the message. Um, it's more conversational. It's not necessarily the thing, best place to like study from, but it really just, when I was reading, it just brought so much to my heart. But I wanna set the scene. So if you are comfortable, I'd love for you to close your eyes. And I wanna put us back into the church that this was originally written to. We might be in the afternoon and, and we're in Ephesus, a bustling city, and we find ourselves in between these three kind of like, almost like condo type of places. And in the middle, there's a, there's a grounds where we're all gathered around. And we knew that somebody named Tychias was coming to deliver us a letter. Now, what he doesn't know is that inside of our community of 25 of us is that there's you know, one guy across the, across the way in this circle as we're awaiting his arrival that we're in arguments about, about what's in, what's out. We're talking about the, just what does that look like? We, we also have a, a group of people in, in this room that, that is just struggling to figure out how do I let go of the sin patterns and, and, and how do I conform to be more like Christ? This guy comes around Food is getting prepped for the feast that we're gonna have in just a little bit. But all of a sudden, hushed tones happen and he comes around and he unfolds this letter that's worn and torn because he just came from another community. And now standing in Ephesus, he begins to read. And as we go through this letter, what I encourage you to do is to write down, what is God speaking to you? Receive this as a Christ follower. Receive this as somebody who is dealing with very similar things that this church was dealing with at the time. Because after this, we wouldn't just be going into communion and then that final psalm, but rather it would spark a discussion and a discussion that I hope would move into the next week that would be around your dinner table as a family, that would be in your workplace, that would be in your life group or, or around the friends you naturally connect with, your family, your roommates, your, your, your coworkers, where we begin to unpack, what did we just hear? So he opens up the letter and he starts. I, Paul, am under God's plan as an apostle, a special agent of Christ Jesus, writing to you, faithful believers in Ephesus. I greet you with the grace and peace poured out into our lives by God, our Father, and our Master, Jesus Christ. How blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the Father of our Master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, early Star Wars fan, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. 
what pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. It's in Christ that we find out that who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you once, you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of salvation, found yourself home, free, signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours, by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment of what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you every time I prayed. I think of you and give thanks, but I do more than think. I ask, ask the God of our master Jesus Christ, the God of glory to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of the glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him, endless energy, boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments to no name and no power exempt from his rule and not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. Has the final word on everything. At the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church you see is not a peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. It wasn't long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing. When we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin, dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in the world in the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust enough 
And we trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from the start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both, the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work he had done, he had better doing. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that your, you outsiders to God's ways had, not, had no idea of any of this, didn't know the first thing about the way that God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this, both Jewish, non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall he used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it had helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got, to, got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and the same equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. This is why I, Paul, am in jail for Christ. Having taken up the, the cause of you outsiders, so-called, I take it that you're familiar with the part I was given in God's plan for including everybody. I got the inside story on this uh, from God himself as I wrote to you in brief. As you read over what I've written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's spirit through his holy apostles and prophets of this order. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what we've been calling insiders and outsiders, stand on the same ground before God. They, set the, they get the same offer, the same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. This is my life work though, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be sure that if I, if it, you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. 
So here I am preaching and writing about things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosities of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God who created all this in the first place has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, the extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. All this is proceeding along the lines, planned all along by God and then executed in Christ Jesus. When we trust in him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said, bold to go wherever we need to go. Star Trek fan too. So don't let my present trouble on your behalf get you down. Be proud. My response to get down on my knees before the Father. This magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth, I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God, the Messiah and Jesus. Glory down all the generations, glory through all millennia. Oh, yes. I could imagine in this scene, everyone in that room realizing that we are a product of thousands of years. When was the last time that you were reading scripture and you just broke out in praise? I was talking to Sarah in between services like, He's writing this letter. And I can imagine at this point where he's, he's, he's pinned it out. And he has no, the only thing he can do is say, I am, I am the least of like, what am I doing? But God, you've called me into this. And in that he discovers this beautiful calling. And all he can do is erupt in praise. We're having this intimate moment at the end of this third chapter with Paul. It's almost like an aside. It's breaking the fourth wall of the, of the scripture. We get to get into the heart of this, where this person that we look to as like the person who authored almost over half of the New Testament, like we look at this point. And what does he have to do in response of God's story? Is that he just exclaims in praise. And then he makes this transition where now he's laid this groundwork, this gift that we've been given that through the generations was promised that we can step into. I can also feel the uncomfortability in the room in that moment, reading this aloud where Jews and Gentiles are together, where this fierce debate is happening, where Paul is basically handing it to them. And now he speaks to the church unified together and he says, in light of all of this, here's what I want you to do. 
While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You were all called to travel on the same road in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us, given his own gift, the text for this is, he climbed, and he climbed the high mountains, he captured the, the enemy and seized the, the treasure. He, he handed it all out in gifts to the people. Is it not true that one, the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of the earth? And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to the highest heaven. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor and teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. No prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and to tell it in love like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, the mindless crowd. They refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore, feeling no pain. They let themselves go in sexual obsession, addiction to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have played, paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth per, precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it and then take, it, take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. What this adds up to then is this, no more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your angry as a fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can make, help others who can't work. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps each word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a great gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. 
Watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a a life of love. Observe how Christ loves us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Don't allow love to turn into lust, setting off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity, filthy practices, or bullying greed. Though some tongues just love the taste of gossip, those who follow Jesus have better uses for language than that. Don't talk dirty or silly. That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. Thanksgiving is our dialect. You can be sure that using people or religion or things just for what you can get out of them, the whole usual variations on idolatry will get you nowhere and certainly nowhere near the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. Don't let yourselves get taken in by religious smooth talk. God gets furious with people who are full of religious sales talk but want nothing to do with him. Don't even hang around people like that. You groped your way through the murk once, but no longer. You're out in the open now. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. So no more stumbling around. Get on with it. The good, the right, the true. These are the actions appropriate for daylight hours. Figure out what will please Christ and then do it. Don't waste your time on useless work, mere busyness, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham that they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things that they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Rip the covers off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the spirit of God. Huge drafts of him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God, the Father, in the name of our Master, Christ Jesus. Out of respect for Christ, be courteous, reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husband in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership in this way to, uh, to his wife, the way Christ does to this church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as the Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the whole church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they already are one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, doesn't, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body and this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is the huge mystery and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church and this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her and how each wife is to honor her husband. Children, Do what your parents tell you. This is only right. Honor your father and mother is the the first commandment that has a promise attached to it, namely, so you will live well and have a long life. 
Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants, doing what God wants you to do and work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Good work will get you good pay from the master, regardless of whether you are a slave or free. Masters, it's the same with you. No abuse, please, and no threats. You and your servants are both under the same master in heaven. He makes no distinction between you and them. And that about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials and put them to use so that you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against devil and all his angels. Be prepared, you're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. And don't forget to pray for me. Pray that I'll know what to say and have the courage to say it at the right time telling the mystery to one and all and the message that I, jailbird preacher that I am, responsible for getting out. The final passage is here is just talking about the person who's reading it. Dependable servant master. And then Paul just says goodbye. No opportunity to text back. And you can imagine, and I hope even here in this room, you sit here and you say, wow, what in the world do I do with that? When Chris left, started working through like what, you know, this, this whole series would be about. And the thing that it's a normal practice of mine when we go through a book, I, I like to read it all in one sitting because I hope what you just learned is there's a lot we can learn in doing that. Sometimes I think it's difficult for us to understand scripture when we just read it devotionally. Because we don't see the intention of what the author is trying to do here. And as I was working through it, I heard these phrases of in Christ. In Christ, we, we submit to one another. In Christ, we should reorient our entire lives. In Christ, we are sanctified. In Christ, we are called to be friends to one another. In Christ, we are called to share the story and to know that we are part of a story. And in Christ, we shine light and we are also in a spiritual war. This is the message of this particular book. But this book was written for us, certainly to the churches of Asia during this time, but it was also written for us. 
And many times the nuances of arguments and themes get lost when we devotionally study it or break it up on Sundays. We miss the fact that the author has an intention. And so in this book, we see a church wrestling for a common identity and a purpose in the world that they no longer claim allegiance to. This book has spoken to me in countless ways, but most distinctly, it is in the way of understanding what the kingdom of God should look like. The most clear distinction for me is that we are to be light. Paul calls us to be the force that, dark, that exposes darkness. To be the light of the world as Jesus calls us to be. Light, though, cannot have an opposite. It's not possible. There is no gray with light. Light either is or it is not. But in my opinion and observation of the world today, through media and politicians and even other churches, they try hard to make the church into something that is other than the embodiment of Christ here on earth until his triumphant return. I've become increasingly proud of our church community reflecting on the past 10 years and we have made some bold claims as a community. We have wrestled through really hard conversations. I think every elder up here has cried at some point, <laughs> wrestling with some of the things that the scriptures call us to wrestle with. And I am proud of the fact that our members and our community continue to wrestle through hard things. And for some of us, those things have not been quick enough. And for some of us, it's gone too quickly. But what I am proud of is that we are a church and will continue to be a church of conviction because we believe in the story of God and its perpetual and consistent encouragement in our lives to live differently than the world. So in all of this, I can't help but walk away with a really clear encouragement. It's one of my gifts in the spirit that I feel like that God's given me is to encourage, to exhort. And it is this. In Christ, we are called to mature. There's one thing that I hear in this book that he's calling our church community into. It's to maturity. Ephesians 4, 13 says, we are called to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and the deceits of schemes. And then in verse 17, it says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. If there is something in scripture that can connote today what it feels like to live as a Christian, it is that we are tossed to and fro by waves. If you don't feel like that you are living in a storm, I really wanna consider how much conviction you actually live by to be a Christian in this world. I was joking with Sarah, is a little bit of a space maker kind of like sermon which I actually think that that's some of Paul's intention when he's writing Ephesians, is he's saying, here's the deal. You gotta get it straight. This is for keeps, he says. This is, this is not a game, as Ed you know, has created his tagline as he's preaching. Like, this is not a game. That we live in a world where when you say that you believe in Jesus, your entire life 
is no longer darkness and it is light. And if you continue to live in darkness, Paul's calling you to get out of the coffin. Quit being a grave robber. There are two things that I think, and we'll wrap up with these two points. And again, what I mean by space makers, like here's the deal. We do have a value here. And that value is everyone plays. There's no bench warmers. This is not a church for you if you are here to just sit here and do nothing. Because what God calls us to be is to live lives where we reorient everything we are, everything we do to the church. Some people ask me like, where do you find time to do the things that you do? And I say, I have no choice. Because for me to mature, it means to be actively involved with the discipling of others and to faithfully reorient my life and priorities around the church. That's what he's calling us to do. And if you need a church that just is doing happy things on a Sunday, that's great. It's not here. It's just not. But I am going to say this is to us as the body who continues to be here. This is my charge. And I know I'm over and we're going to close here, but this is my charge. Every, every August we've been conditioned to rethink about things. I would even argue that August is actually more of the beginning of the year than anything. Because we go to school. We start in August. That's how it is. And so usually on the first weeks of August is some of the biggest, highest attendance of church times and that sort of thing. So here, here's my thing, is that while you're resetting your fall semester, I want you to consider, is this the time for your greatest growth of maturity? Because if it is, it's going to require you to take a step. And I think it requires you as your family to come around. Because here's one thing I know is true. If you want to know what you value in life, just pull out your calendar and it will tell you real quick. And so my encouragement is around how are you going to faithfully choose to step into maturity in Christ over the next six months? And there's all sorts of ways to do that. Certainly classes is one of them. Another one is joining a life group. This is, they never intended church to be like this, people. Like, they intended the church to be in, in, in a small group of people of 20 people, like gathering around, sharing their lives together, opening up scriptures. Hello, it's life group. That is one of the most powerful and most transformative places in your life. And if you're not a part of it, you are not walking faithfully right now. Because God calls us to be in deep relationship with one another where we are submitting to one another in love. That is how we are going to grow. It's not just here. In fact, I would say here sometimes can be a distraction. We have to find ways to have life on life, loving discipleship, people in your lives that spur us on and forward. And I know that makes you be vulnerable. Well, I'll tell you one thing, that's certain vulnerability when I read that, when, when I read that book of Ephesians. But that's how we are called to grow. So my invitation is two things. One, reject apathy. In Christ, we're called to reject apathy. Quit saying that like, yeah, I need to do that. No, 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 do it. And we wanna be there to help you do it. Join the life group, be active. Here's the other charge. We need leaders to lead life groups, people. I know it's tough to break up. And I know we talk about like, oh, it's just multiplying. We wanna like, we wanna like soften the blow of like groups spreading like this. But here's the thing. If you look around and you were here three years ago, I guarantee you the group in this room is very different. 
I mean, even when Chris comes back in the next three months, he's going to look around. There's new people here. We need places for people to grow in life groups. And I know that's hard for life groups that have bonded together, but we've got to create more space. But the only way we're going to do that is that you choose to step up and say, you know what? I don't know what it means to lead, but I'm going to do my best to do, be faithful to it. But the second thing is classes. It's like, join a class. Let's do it. May this be the, the semester where we have just explosive amount of people learning God's word um, and all of that. So I, I know I'm over and uh, this is it. And I just, I, I just wanna tell this church, I'm so grateful for where we are, but God wants us to have so much more. And the Christians in the day that are actually gonna stand out for Christ are gonna be the ones that live with conviction and that learn how to read your Bibles. Because if there's one thing I think is true, is that we have forgotten how to read. And what a gift it is to have scripture in front of us. Don't diminish the text, it is sacred. And it is the fuel of our lives. So every week we do gather in, as a body and one of the things that we also do is the liturgy of communion, which is the symbology of us unifying together in Christ. And this table is open for those of us in Christ. If you are not in Christ, we ask that you respect the fact that that's just not where you are right now and we'd love to talk to you about that. But this is the place where the body comes together. And then after reading that letter, what would have happened is most likely there would have been conversation, but people would start moving around a table 20, 25 of them breaking bread and doing this exact same thing. They called it the love feast at the time. Where they would be reminded of what Christ did and his last words to his disciples. So we give thanks to God the Father, our Savior, Jesus Christ, before he suffered, gave us the memorial of his sacrifice until he comes again. At his last supper, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For until we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, we proclaim our faith as signed, sealed in this sacrament. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Let's pray. God, send your Holy Spirit so this bread and cup may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May all your saints be united with Christ and remain faithful in hope and love. Gather your whole church, O Lord, into the glory of your kingdom. We pray in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.